Oh my fucking god. You know what? That's the that's the start of the episode. No. Soren dying. No. Yes. Uh, hello. Bye. We're in here. Uh, we right. we hello. out here. We're What's back. up? Hello. I thought I, I was gonna try and start the episode with just saying Soren suffocating, but then you coughed, so I was like, yeah, I, I guess that's my chance. We're back. We All missed right. a week, even though we said we wouldn't. Okay. But you know but what? Actually, we're that. doing things this time. I think you could forgive us. This summer's been a lot. It was it was funny because I saw you put out the tweet and it was like measures have been put in place <laughs> to to secure don't make fun the of fact extremely... that this won't happen again. And I was like, bro, that's some shit that you hear out of the fucking like New York Police Department report. Like, Did you see? Oh my god. Okay, so you know the big explosion in Lebanon that's really bad, right? Yeah, and like in how, Beirut, I think. Yeah, but I think the current theory is that it was basically like a lot of explosive materials, and then they tried to weld yeah, the door shut. Yeah, I saw something about that. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's not like a bomb. Yeah. But yeah, it just it was an accident. Yeah. New York Police Department tweets that our counterterrorism division will be looking into it. <laughs> not like the FBI or anything, you know. New yeah. U- NYPD. What are someone, you doing? Someone quoted that and said they think they're the fucking Avengers. They do. What are you doing? Anyways, hello. <laughs> Hi, we're here. We're we're this back. Is not, so this today, is not a current events podcast. We're not ready for that. Um, only, only, only at certain moments. Um, so today, Sometimes today we're doing occasionally. Today we're doing uh one thing. Uh, yep. it was suggested to us by at is underscore not underscore Kyle on Twitter. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I think. Hold on. Let me see. You tweeted that at us back in June of last year. Hi. So, um, we got to it. Yeah, no, we're just we're just doing like a deep dive on one thing because it's the kind of thing I didn't want to do it in any of the others because then we wouldn't be able to do everything with it, and it's mm-hmm. not actually as long as I remembered. If you don't include the book, um, <laughs> which we possibly will. So, oh uh, wait, hold on. There's an, oh never mind. Um, but I think we're gonna. I don't want to say it for sure yet, but I think next time we're gonna do this with seventeen thirty. What happened to site thirteen? So that's a that'll personal be cool. favorite, and that's a really long one. So that might actually be like multi-part or whatever, or just a mm-hmm. long episode. Who knows? Anyway, for for now though, here uh, be dragons, or no, where, where the, the dragons, dragons when also known as yeah, there be one. dragons. Something something has to do with dragons. Um, it's the paper so, dragons. Yeah. If anyone, so, if you're thinking of that one, you're right. Okay. I I by the way, I Soren knows he's he's kind of read this before. I I'm going in blind. The, I haven't read the like addendum book in its entirety. But I've read. But the you you know skip. the the general idea of what yeah. it is, and and I don't, so I'm going in blind. Uh, so I'll read the description if you want to go ahead and do the containment procedures. All right, yeah. Uh, it's 1762. Its object class is previously safe, but has now been neutralized, and is Ooh. its containment procedures are uh, dash one is to be held in a standard containment unit at site redacted. During the periods when Dash 1 releases Dash 2, video logs are to be recorded for future research. Although instances of Dash 2 have been deemed harmless, they should not be allowed to exit their containment unit. For the description, uh, Dash 1 is a plain cardboard box that is 32 centimeters by 20 centimeters by 26 centimeters. It is spray painted silver on the interior and exterior, and the words Here Be Dragons are handwritten in black permanent marker on the lid of the container. Opening the lid of Dash 1 when it is not in the process of a release reveals it to be empty. Dash 1 will infrequently open and initiate a release of Dash 2. During this time, the box will briefly emit a large amount of black smoke that quickly dissipates. It takes an average of 20 seconds for Dash 2 to emerge after the smoke clears. Dash 2 is a collective term applied to the beings that emerge from Dash 1. All instances of Dash 2 bear resemblance to various types of dragons in both eastern and western depictions, albeit in forms similar to that of origami models. Analysis of Dash 2 reveals that they are composed of kami paper. 
After exiting Dash 1, instances of Dash 2 will fly together in large groups and interact playfully with any nearby personnel and each other. Dash 2 vary in length from 9 to 30 centimeters, are, all are capable of sustained flight once they exit Dash 1, and have been recorded attaining speeds of up to 15 kilometers an hour. Uh, the number of Dash 2 varies within uh, each opening of Dash 1, with the numbers ranging from 50 to over 400. After approximately 2-3 to three hours of time spent outside of Dash 1, all instances of Dash 2 return and fly back into Dash 1. During this time, Dash 1 will once again begin emitting smoke, and instances of Dash 2 will vanish after passing the rim of Dash 1. Dash 1 closes once all Dash 2 have returned to it, the next date of release is inconsistent. A message written or carved into a varying material will sometimes materialize on top of Dash 1's lid once the box retrieves all instances of Dash 2. Attempts to send a message or recording device back with Dash 2 have provided negative results. These documents and their appropriate dates of appearance are being compiled and recorded. And then the picture up at top, as uh, is an instance of uh, Dash 2, is just an or like a red origami dragon. Yep. Alright, and then there's the addendum. So, which... do we want to switch off with each one? Yeah, so if you want to start with one, then we can okay. alternate up to that. The, I'll do the addendum in the first document. Addendum dash 01. On blank blank 2000 blank, dash 1 began to undergo a series of events that lasted 11 months and 28 days. These events, as well as the prior incidents that led up to the beginning of the scenario, have now been classified... Cla oh boy. Classified... Wow, that's a new one. ...under the title The Jabberwocky Event. And the next one is on in 2004. This is the first recorded instance of it opening while contained. And these are the documents that were, like, written on the top. You have found us. Thank you. It has been so long since we last saw each other, friends. The peace has been upheld. The giants and behemoths have kept their word and have not caused any trouble since you last came and gave the order. We missed your company. How has your family been? Do you still know how to work your room? You are welcome to visit any time. There's some weird capitalization in here, like peace and order, uh, family, you, Same thing with you, room. yeah. Yeah, it's so. kind of weird. Am I doing the next one? Uh, yep. Okay. All right, so uh, document four, date obtained, redacted, redacted, uh, 2004. Uh, it's strange to see how much your wealth has changed. It is even stranger to see how we now appear in this place. In fantasy, we are much bigger. Or maybe you've grown taller. Fantasy is still the same. We hope you can visit us like you used to. Though our room is as grand as ever, it appears yours has shrunken. We do not understand. The rooms were supposed to be maintained, as was our agreement. Please restore the belief. In the next incident in 2005 this time, only 20 instances of Dash 2 appeared during this event. Said instances did not lift off and instead walked slowly on foot for the whole period they were out of Dash 1. Friends, we apologize for our few numbers. We have, tried, we have had to remain in fantasy for quite some time. The others are growing impatient. We tr are trying to keep the peace, but please, for all of our happiness, repair the room quickly. We know you are trying. Your family is the most imaginative of us all. So, uh, document 14, uh, everything's redacted except for 2000. Uh, along with 10 instances of Dash 2 appearing, three balls of yellow crumpled construction paper were expelled from Dash 1. These pieces were observed to shake violently for five seconds and ceased all further movement. They were picked up by Dash 2 and returned to Dash 1. The giants were foolish. Your room was not ready to accept them yet. We're sorry, friends. We hope that we can still see you, but time is growing short for our happiness. Alright. And then the next one. Uh, 2000 blank redacted. Uh, five instances emerged carrying said document. They immediately returned to Dash 1 after depositing it on the floor. Tensions are rising. Fantasy is becoming darker. We, the serpents and the hybrids, are furiously trying to hold them back. 
but the giants and elves wish to strike and make an entrance. They say that your family has grown stupid and ignorant. We hope this is untrue. It would sadden us all greatly to know that you have forgotten. Next one, uh, number 16, once again redacted except for 2000. A single red instance of Dash 2 emerged from Dash 1. Its wings were torn and it was noticeably crumpled. It collapsed onto the floor one minute later and did not move again. Upon its expiration, quote-unquote, uh, the body of Dash 2 rapidly unfolded and revealed a message written on the white side of the paper. War. Goodbye, friends. Two hours later, Dash 1 opened and emitted flames that reached 2 meters in height and temperatures of 1,700 degrees Celsius. That's really fucking hot. <laughs> uh, sounds of distant roaring were heard from within Dash 1. At uh, 20 hundred hours, a large amount of torn paper pieces and paper balls were ejected from Dash 1. Several damaged Dash 2 were also expelled and were deemed deceased upon examination. Dash 1 continued to sporadically open and close for the next six weeks. During this time, it continued to emit fire as the amount of paper discharged from it steadily decreased. Matter resembling muscle and tissue was continuously expelled from Dash 1 at, increasingly, at increasing frequency. Dash 1 remained closed and inactive for the next seven months. This document was discovered lying inside the interior of Dash 1. It was written on parchment and many of the words have been blurred or stained with blood. Are you still out there, friends? We miss you dearly. Fantasy is no longer safe. Our haven, our, your beautiful creation, is gone. The giants are dead. The centaurs are dead. The birds have fled. We are going to bury your room. We cannot risk hurting you. This is our goodbye. Maybe one day your family can build another room. This may be a hollow hope, but we will cherish this thought. One hour later, Dash 1 began to shake and emit smoke for 15 minutes, after which it began to sag and collapse. Several portions of the box began to char and tear, creating small burn holes throughout. The words, here be dragons, on the lid of the box were burned away. Next one, uh, 18, once again, redacted everything about 2000. This is the final message obtained from uh, Dash 1. It was written in ink on a papyrus scroll. I almost said papyrus, same thing, but... You know, uh, and also depicted a scene of a painted mountainous landscape filled with large trees and waterfalls. A single-winged dragon can be seen in the background. It appears to be flying away. The message is written in black ink in the bottom right-hand corner. Master says that we won't see you again. We are sad. So are the remaining others. We once filled each other's heads with dreams and goals. It is so sad that we cannot share them any longer. Master says we have to go. He says that he will make us a new fantasy. He says you cannot be a part of it. We are sad. Hi. We love you. We will not no. forget you. We are scared. Oh, will you forget us? Okay, yeah. Upon removal of document dash 18, that's the one I just read, salt water began to leak from dash 1, and the burn marks that cover the container began to disappear. Three minutes later, dash 1 had been restored to its original state. Uh, the words, here be dragons, were replaced with the words, here were dragons. The Jabberwocky event is declared concluded with this occurrence. And before we continue, and while my cat makes strange noises. <laughs> yeah, I um, thought I heard something. I forgot that i have to go get tested at like now <laughs> oh my god i am but okay here's what we're doing we're gonna pause here mm -hmm. and listeners nothing mm -hmm. will happen for you we'll just be back in like a bit how long are you gonna be gone i don't know uh probably an hour at most <sighs> okay don't leave the recording going <laughs> I won't. I'm gonna pause it now. Well, Alright, we'll see you everyone in a second. Pause it and save it as like part one or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Alright, I'll see you again later. Bye bye. Alright. <laughs> Alright, we're back. Hi, we're back. Everything's fine. We're good. Okay. Uh addendum three. I'm just gonna read that one. Okay. Uh cool. addendum three. Since the end of the Jabberwocky event, 
Dash 1 has shown no further anomalous properties and has been declared neutralized. Dash 1 and three deceased instances of Dash 2 now reside in researcher Yoshi Yoshihiro Ta Takanaka, excuse me, uh, his office for commemorative purposes. Addendum Dash 04, update December 31st, 2015. After nearly eight years of inactivity, researcher Takanaka reported Dash 1 had began emitting purple smoke and spontaneously opened at 2300 hours, falling to the floor. It dislodged a small chunk of crystal, later identified as amethyst, in a large leather-bound book. The contents of this book appear to detail various species that once lived within the world of Dash 2, though from what the author has written, all organisms mentioned are likely extinct. The book is now classified as Dash B-O-L-1. We're going to read that. The amethyst crystal has the following words carved into it. One last time. After falling, Dash 1 continuously emitted smoke for the next 40 minutes before ceasing all activity. Upon trying to pick it up, Takanaka reported that the box proceeded to disintegrate upon touching it. Its remains are now kept in a containment capsule in his office. Yeah. Book time. This is the big one. There's yeah. a lot here. So there, there's one for every letter of the alphabet. Oh, is that what it is? There it well, is. You're right. Actually, wait. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah. So I noticed that when I was looking at it. Um, while... <laughs> little thing while you were gone i watched an episode of the umbrella academy i think i went on twitter uh i got more hungry so that was cool all right cool it was a productive time uh yeah so beast of the old letters that's the book that i mentioned um so at the front there's a little i guess introduction section then it has all the different beasties uh they all have individual illustrations and stories well we're gonna there's an introduction to the whole thing first yeah, that's what I said. Oh. Oh, you're just yeah. saying, like, what everything is. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess it looks like not all of them have illustrations, but some of them do. So, uh, yeah, so uh, like at the top it says... No, there are two. two. There's three. I saw three. Okay. At the top. <laughs> Anyways, it says, you hold in your hands the paper keys, the, the keys that can unlock fantasy. And that links to the SCP itself. Oh, it does? Yes. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I guess it does. And then the, uh, after that, there's a bunch of italic text that says, uh, when I first discovered... Hold on, I highlighted it. I didn't mean to. All right. When I first discovered this wondrous land, I could scarcely believe everything before me. The spiraling and floating mountains that reached so high that the rings of clouds were still below them. The great waterfalls that sprayed down the ancient rivers that flowed through the forest with trees wise and full of knowledge. The oceans with their golden beaches and cool, lapping waves that never, that never roared nor stormed. And the life within... Such unique and wonderful creatures have walked through this fantastic world. It took years for me to gaze upon them all. Who knows? I may have had more to see. I can't see them anymore, though. The land is now barren and cold, so empty and sad that even the icy ridge that lines the northern forests would offer more warmth. Everything has vanished. All the wonder gone, all the vibrant, amazing things this world once had to offer, disappeared. I still wonder where they went. I doubt I will ever know. All I do know is that I have my books, my stories, and the memories that are already beginning to fade away as I grow aged and alone in an old man's mind that still believes a long-last fantasy may return. I don't think I'll live to see them come back, but I leave these stories to whomever finds them so that they can know that they did exist. Okay. Now we, so now do, we go. Do we just want to speed go. through all of them? See how much we can get. Yeah, alright. First one, Alifox. Uh, the image is like a bird with two head and butterfly wing and like dragonfly wing. Yeah, kind of. Just sketch. It's like bug wings of some case, some sort. When dawn shines through the trees of the soft needle forest, you can find the alifox humming through the giant lilies for a morning meal. 
A beautiful two-headed bird, slightly larger than a full-grown man, with downy rainbow feathers that quiver ever so slightly as they run through the warm morning breeze. The owl fox has four wings that are more akin to an insect's than a bird's, but they blend seamlessly with the back of the creature. They are jeweled and delicate, and they catch the early rays in such a way that they glint and shimmer. The owl fox heads each sport a single large crest which changes color from one bird to the next. Their eyes are round and a deep purple, their beaks gold and slender. And their cries. The cry of an alifox is sublime, a smooth, crisp, and echoing warble. The heads take turns as they call out, one rising, one falling, one rising, one falling. Alifox eggs are pure white until the chick comes close to hatching, during which they will turn vibrant shades of pink, green, blue, and gold. The chick is no larger than a hand, and, um, and like any other infant bird, naked and blind for weeks. The first coat of down is white as well, but as it grows older, colors will show through, layer upon layer, until a full array of hues coat the bird. I had the great privilege of seeing an alifox next to myself after many years of exploring the soft needle forest. For I had to rely on the records and drawings from the dragons. They are built on the ground, nearly as white as a dinner table, interlaced with the branches of thorny ivy to keep predators away from the chicks. The interior is matted with tufts from the downberry bushes. Indeed, the berries themselves are brought back to feed the young too. Of course, I could only marvel a few precious minutes before the parents returned and proceeded to fiercely chase me away for a good quarter of a mile before they turned back to their eggs. Nonetheless, I felt a great deal of happiness knowing I had witnessed such a rare sight with my own eyes. I... <laughs> Were you pre-reading the next one? No, I'm laughing because of you. Because halfway through, you started going, like, British Planet Earth narrator. Or, like, ba- I thought you were going to say bad at reading. <laughs> well, weird. I mean, there was a couple times, yeah. But, like, like hey, you started going... You started going fucking planet earth like yeah. british narrator and it like it was it was perfect in so many different ways and so i i was like tr- struggling not to fucking laugh <laughs> so i hope everyone else enjoyed that as much as i do uh the next one is called bumpkies it's like a little pumpkin Bump, head bumpkles, um bumpkles yeah excuse me that was oh, like God. a little pumpkin head with like a one leg so an enigmatic and dare i say frightening creature the bumpkle is the dragons themselves say they do not know how or when the Bunkles arrived in the Black Rock Forest to the north, but they have lurked within those rugged trees for centuries now. I dare not travel into the Black Rock Forest alone. That place crawls with animals of the night and is a place of mystery and fear. The good wizard Garen and the dragon Dwarwenth, I think, accompanied me all the way, and I am forever grateful their will- for their willingness and courage. As the Black Rock Forest loomed nearer, I began to remember tales of Bunkle encounters. Some poor, brave soul who went exploring alone when the Ashen Trail was not yet made. What dreadful and terrifying experiences they must have been. Half a mile into the trees, and the sunlight was already almost completely blocked out. We relied on the soft glow of the carpet moss and ringed mushrooms. The mosquitoes were vicious to the wizard and I. Another fifteen minutes of walking, and we saw our first bumpkull. Or, to put it more accurately, bumpkulls. Five of them, all hunched over as they crooned over a carcass. From the dim glow of plant life, I could see the muzzle of what may have been a wattle grunt. Is that one of the ones no. later? No, it isn't. Okay. Uh, all of us halted, afraid to disturb the creatures. Easily thirsty, even forty feet tall. A single Easily clawed... thirsty? Oh, easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very yeah, I was gonna say... thirsty. <laughs> I was gonna say that sentence didn't really make much sense. Easily thirty, even forty feet tall. <laughs> I was like, easily thirsty, also for... Okay, whatever. Easily thirsty. You heard it first. <laughs> On that note, I'm gonna take a drink real quick. Uh, water time. Yeah. Alright, a single clawed bird-like foot. And <laughs> God, that's fucked. <laughs> uh, 
A single clawed bird-like foot and leg that rose all the way without any other limb or torso until it connected with the head, a giant rounded thing covered in thick matted down. There were two enormous eyes that shone like moons, casting light onto, onto the dead waddle grunt and illuminating the dead creature more than I would care to see. I say the eyes of a bumpkle hypnotized and put the unfortunate gazer into a state of shock and terror. Had we not immediately frozen, they may have turned to us as well. A bumpkle has two mouths. One giant seam hidden beneath his hairy head, filled with thin needle-like teeth. The other is underneath his foot, the toes acting as teeth that clamp and fasten onto flesh as the inner ring of jaws greedily bites off bits of flesh. The sound that the bumpkles were making was atrocious. We stood there silently for the next half hour. By the time the bunkles began retreating into the dark, the waddle grunt was unrecognizable, a pile of cracked bones and entrails. The dropper flies began falling from the branches of the tree above to pick up their few remains. We followed the ashen trail back into the clear, where a flood of relief greeted us. I would not return to the Black Rock Forest again for years. The next Remember, guys, ones they're are... very thirsty. Yes. The next ones are called Charm Changers. More akin to a spirit than an animal, the Charm Changers nonetheless have a special pace in the... Fa- special place in the fantastic lands, and so I have included them in this book. With their intense curiosity and the near-limitless variety, charm changers can be found at any place so long as magic exists there. In their base form, they resemble wisps with pink, yellow, and orange rice. Light. Sometimes looking like a human rice? child. Rice? you I say said, rice? I said light. I, I like... Sometimes no more than... Sometimes no more than... Sometimes no more than an amorphous blob with two round eyes. They are very pure beings and have an intense attraction towards materials used in spellcasting, with a particular regard for books and scrolls. As such, charm changers have been revered as guardians of magic shops, libraries, and rune spots alike. Visitors and creatures of some places would be wise to leave a small creators. offering of some. Visitors and creatures of some places would be creators. Wise to... It says creators. I know. I intend... visitors and creatures of some places would be wise <laughs> to leave a small offering of some sort to the charm changers usually consisting of a story, a tar- carving, or a runestone. Charm changers will take says offering and turn them into a vessel for themselves, thereby adding the offering's magical power to its own, and providing itself better protection for an otherwise delicate body. Those who keep tar- charm changers happy are blessed with prosperity. Once appeased, appeased. Once appeased, charm changers are more than happy to assist those who visit or work in the place they inhabit. A bee. <laughs> oh my fucking god, this is stupid as shit. Oh. <laughs> Why did you stop there? Like, you said the word find, and then you were like, hey, hey, appeased. No, I said appeased. I said, okay. no, I said appeased. However, Trump- <laughs> A bee? Michael with a bee? Where's the bee? <laughs> Alright. However, charm down. changers can be corrupted with offerings of dark subject matter as well as being forgotten or neglected. Charm changers that suffer such treatment will become cursed changers and turn otherwise benevolent places into areas of ill fortune and disease. Cursed changes are black, green, and silver as opposed to their lighter counterparts, and once transformed are impossible to change back. The most tragic incident turned cursed of charm changes turned cursed occurred at the library of Knot, where an offering of contaminated elixirs turned nearly two hundred charm changes <laughs> into maddened spirits and began to leak poison into the street. The dragons were first forced to burn down the entire library, incinerating the charm changes along with hundreds of scripts and books. That just fucking got worse. As I went along, I, I apologize to everyone actually listening to this t- attempt to like. Shush. Okay. Uh, the next one they is drop off dwellers. To listen. <laughs> they right. know what they're getting. That's true. All right. Next one, like I said, is drop off dwellers at the edges of the coral flats and bountiful cliffs, where the seaside take a plunge into cooler waters. Pods of drop off dwellers float and bob lazily in a peaceful slumber. 
They are shaped like a teardrop that grew immensely swollen on one side, with a small pointed tail that does little in terms of moving its entire in its enormous body. Dwellers rely more on the current to move them themselves, going for months at a time without food until drifting back to the fantastic lands. Easily up to 80 feet long, and also thirsty, <laughs> there are two distinct <laughs> species of dwellers. The dwellers of the coral flats possess distinct growths on their heads, which are actually coral colonies that have fallen and become affixed, affixed during feeding times. Coral dwellers are a light blue color, with lighter rings dotted their, dotting their backs. Cliff dwellers are a muddled brown, with much more numerous blue spots. Their tails end in a clump of streamer-like skin flaps that ripple and twirl as the dweller slowly moves through the waters. Dwellers come to the fantastic lands once a year, corals during the spring and close in the fall. At the coral flats, dozens of dwellers line side by side at the drop-off's edge, where together they inhale huge amounts of seawater, sucking down the old, dead, and leftover remains that accumulated over the winter. When they are done feeding on the debris, the reefs are once again new and ready to begin a new cycle of life. On the Bountiful Cliffs, dwellers spit out water high into the air at, uh, the, fruit, at the fruit trees above, freezing hundreds of heavy trees from their burden and into their mouths. Life below also rely on the falling fruit for a final feast before winter comes, when they either must go on a long journey to warmer, weather, warmer waters or wait it out in hibernation. Regardless of which season, drop-off dwellers play a key role in making sure the coasts of the fantastic lands stay vibrant. The ex- Hold on. Eskleberg. Eskleberg uh, Forest. Yeah. While not as large or as dense as either the soft needle or black rock forest, the Eskelberg Forest and its singing groves are a popular destination for commoners and explorers alike. Despite its name, it is not actually a forest, and is instead a single large organism. Each of the trees in the forest is a runner sent up by a large and complex root system which is impeded in Eskelberg Peak. The trunks of these runners are hollowed out, and they are openings to the hollow interior on the tops and sides of the trunks. Air will often funnel in through the top openings and blow out the side openings, creating a variety of tones. The leaves on the branches of these trees grow in a curled, funnel-like shape. The constant production of the tones by the runners fills the grove with a flowing, improvisational melody, providing a pleasant acoustic background for visitors. This constant stream of sound is then funneled into the forest leaves, into the centers of the spirals where the air once again enters into the inner workings of the, of the runners. Wouldn't some scholars who have studied the groves believe that this is constant? Passing back and forth of music between the trees is the forest thinking to itself. Among these, there is a small following which believes the forest is only asleep and that the great wood beast will one day awake and rise out of Eskelberg Peak. The unique hollowed-out trunks of the Eskelberg Forest provide habitats for numerous small animals, including sizable populations of burnt waffle and zootru. The forest is also the only location in which the bulbnut squirrels are found naturally. The vibrant ecosystem makes the forest popular among amateur naturalists and seasoned explorers alike. Next one is the fire manes. Intensely proud animals, fire manes roam the Jinao Plains in prides ranging from 10 to 15 members. Closely resembling a lion at base, fire manes are so named for the scarlet, iridescent hairs that ring the necks of both the male and female, and race down the sides and backs in horizontal stripes. This fur is highly prized as material for clothing, though there are very strict laws placed on firemen hunting. However, unlike the lion, fire manes possess two pairs of antlers that rise regally from their heads behind the ears like a stag and race across the savannah on three pairs of scaly reptilian legs. Firemanes love the thrill of the chase when pursuit of prey, often purposely letting the prey go should they catch it too quickly. While some may say this game of catch and release is cruel, it is nonetheless a fascinating spectacle to see as the firemanes become a flaming blur on the grassy fields. While not hunting, they can be seen racing each other, and, if approached with caution and presented with respect, other beings such as wizards, elves, and even dragons. Uh, a lucky few have been blessed with the fortune of even riding them. A magician I knew named Gang, I think, told me his account of riding a fireman he befriended years ago. 
He said at first he held on for dear life as the beast took off, but as he gained his hold, it was an exhilarating and unforgettable experience. As he and the fireman raced through the night sky, they almost looked like a comet flying along the ground. The next is gyrogliders. A type of newt-like creatures native to the beaches and cliffs of the southern sea, gyrogliders are unusual for amphibians because they possess fully functional wings, or something close to them at least. These wings resemble long webbed fins that can open and close like a fan when the gyroglider contracts and relaxes its muscles. They are two pan pairs stacked directly on top of each other, with the bottom steps slightly longer. Unlike birds or bats that flap their wings up and down, the gyroglider spins its wings in a circle, the top set turning clockwise and the bottom in reverse. Gyrogliders are thrill-seekers, particularly the males. During the mating season in summer, they can be seen taking life-risking leaps off the cliff walls to the beach below, performing a multitude of spins and flips on the way down. The closer they come to the beach before pulling up to safety, the more attention they get from potential mates. Females can also be seen jumping, though they prefer to glide and loop as opposed to the male's chaotic, flamboyant routine. When not performing daredevil jumps, they spend most of their time clinging to beach cliffs, or within the many holes and cracks of the rock. These creatures come in a stunning array of colors, ranging from turquoise and white to pink and gold to silver and green. It is common for gyrogliders to mate with one that does not possess their own color scheme. This practice continues to produce wide arrays of different shades and color combinations. Gyrogliders lay their eggs in treacherous waters full of hidden rocks and boulders, thereby discouraging predators from making a meal. Their eggs are round and numerous like a fish's and coated in an adhesive that anchors the eggs to the rock. The young hatch within 30 days and will spend the first few weeks in the water until their wings develop. Afterwards, they will spin and loop up to the rest of the colony, ready to become the next generation of daredevil jumpers. The next one is the Hopsurvoppers. A charming and oddly entertaining species, Hopsurvoppers were created by the Flux Elves about 100 years ago using an array of housework and cooking spells. The Hopsurvoppers' <laughs> hops goal? To prepare and serve delicious food wherever and whenever a banquet is held. The Hopsurvopper resembles a large white egg with a single colored dot in the center of their quote-unquote faces, but superficially looks like a simple eye. Usually blue or green when the, when the hop, hopser vopper is not preparing food, this dot will change color depending on how near a meal the creature is preparing to, is to, a, to completion. When the circle turns red or pink, the food is ready to serve. What makes the hopser vopper so intriguing is that they prepare the food inside their bodies with the help of the magic given to them by the flux during their creation. When hopser voppers have finished making food, they crack open to reveal the meal inside, which can range from steaming piles of meat and delicious bowls of soup to beautifully arranged fruits and desserts. Once the food is taken, the hop survivor closes again without any harm, and goes back to preparing food as needed until the feast is done. Hop survivors move around on a single human-like foot that is the same white as their egg body. If in the middle of making a meal, it is not uh, uncommon to hear the hop survivors present humming, present humming a soft, cheery tune as they open and close. It is also not uncommon to hear the sounds of jostling metal coming from inside them as they move to and fro. It almost sounds like the hop survivors carrying a multitude of cooking supplies and utensils inside them. However, not even the Flux Elves know what goes on inside a Hopsurvopper's body. Though, given the del deliciousness of the end product, the Hopsurvopper's magic is a treat for anyone who is invited to a Flux banquet. I have no idea how to say the next one. It looks like Eeyore. It does, but not the way you would think. It's it's I I apostrophe O O R, but I I would assume it's pronounced like Eeyore. Sure. As a certified zoologist, it's my job to venture into <laughs> any and all regions in the fantastic lands to discover new species. As one of the more perilous journeys took me to the Kupri Icelands, a flat stretch of snow that is deceptively deep. There are countless legends of a whole world living below the snowfall, tales of things such as ice elves and ancient monsters that have been hibernating for centuries. Such legends are an enticing incentive for people such as myself to explore, and although travel parties have never discovered the beings spoken of in the fables, we have discovered more than 20 new animal species hidden in the ice. From the shy and plump pluners that huddle in the hundreds to conserve body heat, 
to the snow lances that lie in wait to spear unfortunate prey with their icicle-tipped horns. And in all these travels, we relied on the hardiness and warmth of the Eeyore to make sure we wouldn't freeze to death on our journey. The Eeyore are a group of beasts that have been do domesticated by the Kupri village villagers for decades. Eeyores are incredibly docile, at most grunting softly when annoyed, and perhaps kicking a shower of snow at someone. Somehow I think the sight of seeing someone bewildered as they are covered from head to toe in snow amuses the beasts. If one does such an act, others nearby will rumble together in a chorus that almost sounds like laughter. Eeyores walk on four legs arranged like a cross that are as thick as tree trunks, with strong flat feet that allows them to walk across the deep snow without sinking. Their heads are small relative to the rest of their bodies, and is reminiscent that of a turtle. Large folds of fat that are surprisingly warm line the Eeyore's back and store the necessary sustenance for the animal in times when food is scarce. However, the most fascinating part of the Eeyore is the large, multiple fin-like growths that ring the sides of the fat folds. Made of hollow bone at the base, these fins are transparent and shine an iridescent white during the short times of sunlight in the Capri Iceland. Capri Icelands. In just a few hours of sun, these growths can absorb and retain an astounding amount of heat for the cold nights. Whenever we would camp, the Eeyore would spread these growths like a fan. The fins would grow, glow red in the warmth and calm of a comforting fire, and no matter the frigid temperatures around us, with the Eeyore, we would always sleep peacefully. Before we move on to the next one, for the sake of time, we're just going to do the first half. So we'll do up to and including Monolith to Heaven. After that, there's the second half of the alphabet uh, that if you guys want to read, uh, you can do on your own sure. time. Uh, the next one is uh, Jorthwalks. Jorthwalks have long been used by the various domin diminutive races of the Fantastic Lands for transport, racing, and beasts of burden. In at least one of the Pixie societies in the Midlands, a Pixie's wealth can be determined by the size and quality of their herd. Even the, lar the, even the largest Jorthwalk that I have seen was small enough to fit in my hand, the perfect proportion for most of their masters. In terms of their head and body shape, their appearance is similar to a cross between a horse and an antelope. Out of the head grows a pair of relatively large curled branching antlers. Each Jorthwalk possesses six legs, very similar to those of a cricket, which they use for leaping. Jorthwalks come in a variety of vibrant colors, most commonly pinkish, red, and green. But blue and gold varieties also exist, though these are more commonly reserved for knights and royalty. One of the historical accounts including, including Jorthwalks that I find most interesting is the Battle of Kor. For several years, a war had been raging as the mobbish sprites attempted to drive the invading Korish gnomes out of their territories. The wizard Kaland uh, granted the sprites a boon by increasing their side, size so that they might fight on equal footing with the gnomish forces. However, during their charge, the sprites Jorthwalks also increased in, spy in size. After overrunning the gnomish forces onto the field of battle, the sprites were able to use the newfound leaping strength of their Jorthwalks to bridge the gnomes' secluded mountain stronghold of Kor, forcing peace and bringing the gnomes under their rule. Next is the Kiraferd Door Shark. Approximately 200 years ago, in the Second Dwarven Empire of the North, King Kurthic IV commissioned a massive treasury to be constructed within Mount Kirafer in order to house the kingdom's supply of gold. On the southeastern face of the mountain, an enormous door to the treasury was placed in the cliff face. This door was enchanted to only recognize and allow members of the royal court into the treasury. Unfortunately, King Kurthic and his builder could not anticipate the battering rams and catapults of the northern giant. <laughs> While the door was shattered, its many fragments retained part of its enchantment. Each shard took on its own personality and name. The shards are capable of projecting their thoughts into the mind of their holder, usually in the form of images, songs, tales, and conversation. These shards can also communicate with each other if they are in close enough proximity, and two holders which are close enough together can hold a conversation of thoughts through their shards. Following the breaking of the door, the Kirafir shards were collected and dispersed throughout the Fantastic Lands. In many places, they were cut, polished, and sold as exotic jewelry. In other places, the shards were treasured for their eccentric and curious personalities and were used by artists as music of inspiration. I myself carry a cure for your shard named Hathud with me on a necklace for several years. Next one is uh, the Lightning Struck Titan. It is a mercy to all the fantastic lands. Wait one second. Okay. 
My bad. Uh, it is it is a mercy to all the fantastic lands that the lightning struck Titan only awakens with the passing of Ver Vamarov Vam storm every three hundred years in the southern jagged mountains of Kar. Uh, the beast resembles a beetle or hermit crab with a dragon's head, covered in a goliath pyramid of stone and dirt that accumulates over its 300-year slumbers. A huge, crumbling, spiraling tower resides on its back, built by the same sorcerer whom the storm that awakens the beast is named after. Famarov came to the Fantastic Lands 2,000 years ago. It just says 2,000 ago, but I'm assuming 2,000 years ago. 2,000 seconds ago. Just 2,000 ago. That's, that's the measurement, ago. Oh. Ah. In, a, in a search to build a place where he could practice and perfect his art of weather spells. The jagged mountains proved ideal to him, with their isolation and formidable appearance. He began to construct his tower at the plateau of the highest mountain he could find. It would take him 15 years to complete, as soon as a final brick was placed. He began to call forth a thunderstorm more powerful than any of the mountains had seen. The lightning surged from the spire of Amaroth's tower to the base and below, each strike stirring the beast he had built his tower upon. With earth with earth shaking might, the titan stretched its leg and legs and rose. If and ro fuck, I read really fucking weird. My bad. With earth with earth shaking might, the titan stretched its legs and rose. A thousand foot Goliath that bellowed as the storm caused its pain, while at the same time restoring it to life. The lightning struck titan began to move once more, eating huge chunks of earth and stone from the cliffside with his tooth maw. All the while, and all the while, the storm raged above its back, following the titan as it lumbered through the jagged mountains. Vamaroth himself perished as his tower collapsed with each step the giant took. The dragon sought at once to try and stop the beast, or at the very least impede him, but the titan was impervious to all magic. It was an ancient, long-forgotten creature, a force of nature, and it seemed as rampage would destroy all the fantastic lands. Finally, a group of mages led by the sorceress named Talia arrived. They cast a spell that created the great winds to drive the storm away from the lightning-struck titan, and the beast began to slow as the energy gained from the storm disappeared. It managed to return to its resting place before falling asleep once again, and the lands it raised fell silent. Talia and her group were hailed as heroes as they turn and they turned their efforts to restoring the damage done by the Titan. Afterwards they would guard the jagged mountains until their deaths, continuing to strengthen the enchantment that kept Vamorov's storm and lightning struck Titan apart. However, the two are bound to meet again. Vamorov's storm returns every three hundred years from his management in the howling sands to reawaken the beast below. The last time the Titan awoke was 187 years ago. I fear the day when we must once again prepare for the worst. Alright, the last one is The Monoliths to Heaven. In the flat southeastern plains of Zionu, a group of creatures lives in a group that grows by a mere one member at the beginning of each year, the Monoliths to Heaven. Each monolith is less flesh and more stone. Made of obsidian, they are shaped like a rugged ellipse, with a singular large hole running through the top portion like a downward staring eye. Two spindly legs jut out, then fall to the ground from the center of the monolith, legs that look like they would never be able to support a creature of the monolith's mass. However, the monolith's deep magical ties with the stars allows them to stand for the long walk they must undertake every new year. Monoliths travel between two locations and two locations only. One is the site of a meteor, a crater that spans a thousand feet wide. The other is tomb for Gaia and the Magician, the monolith's creator. Known for his nearest eccentric obsession with the stars, Gaian frequently ventured to the Xeonu plane with stargazing gear, constantly looking for what he claimed to be the heavenly planet. Such a planet is vaguely described in old Xeonu texts, but only as a folktale, a legend. However, until his dying breath, Gaian believed the heavenly planet to be more than just a myth, and so created the monoliths to carry out his work when he himself could no longer achieve his dream. Until the week before the new year, the monoliths remained buried in a ring around Gaian's tomb. During this time, the holes in their bodies create various patterns as the sun rises and sets. Once Eve falls in the week before the new year, the monoliths rise from their slumber one by one, and it is during this time one can see Gaian's determination to ascend to the heavenly planet. 
The tallest current monolith towers a staggering 600 feet in the air. Jesus. Each following monolith is 50 feet shorter for a total of a dozen. As the sky darkens, the monoliths begin a slow 50-mile walk to the crater site with only the starlight to guide them. As they walk in descending order, they almost look like the stairs of a giant's castle. On the dawn of the new year, when they have all gathered in the center of the crater, the birth of a new monolith begins. Still in their descending order, the light of the new sun shines through the holes in the monoliths to the ground, illuminating the spot where a new member will rise from the ground, born from the fragments of the meteor that struck the fantastic lands 2,000 years ago. This new member will become the new tallest monolith, the next stepping stone to Gang's fabled world. Once the new monolith takes its place at the frontal line, the stone giants begin their walk back to the grave of their master, where they bury themselves once again until the next year. So I, I was thinking while you were reading that, it, so it says they're 600 feet, and they, they make a 50-mile walk. Uh, a mile is, is like, isn't that like 1,600 feet, give or take, or something? No, it's 3,280 feet. Okay, so I was <laughs> I, I was half a mile. Regardless, though, that's, like, so if, if they're, like, give or take, on average, about 600 feet, like, a mile is going to be, like, 10 steps for them? But no, but that's how tall they are. Like, and their oh, yeah, legs I know. are tiny. <laughs> Wait, what? Two spindly <laughs> legs jut out, then fall to the ground from the center. Oh, well, they're from the center, I guess. Yeah, I, assuming that they have, like, similar proportions to people. in nope. in, in They're big rock. Yeah, but like how like how big are the legs? They come like from in, the halfway point. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. So like like that's that's what I say in terms of like proportions of people. Like half of our body is like our legs. The yeah. upper half is torso. So like six hundred feet. So that's fucking three hundred like three hundred foot tall legs. Yeah, so, but they're they're all going at the same speed. I think. So I understand. I understand that, one. but I. Yeah, I guess. That one's just zooming. It's <laughs> <laughs> going real fast. Because I was going to say, like, like for the, the 600 feet one, like, if a mile is about 3,000, give or take about 3,000 feet, just for the sake of really shitty math, like, that's about, like, 10-ish steps. Well, for, but your so, yeah, stride I guess, isn't the same as the length of your legs. I mean, it can be, but, like... I know, I know, but my point is, is that, like, one mile is going to be, like, 10 steps, so, like, 50 miles, like... It really isn't that bad. For the tiny one, it's fucking hell. <laughs> the tiny one, we say at this point. Yeah, the tiny one being creature. 50 feet. But yeah. still, it, that that for, for us, that would be terrifying, though, because as the 600-foot one is taking, like, one step, the 50-foot one is, it's like you said, he's zooming. Zooming. He's going real <laughs> fast. Anyway, yeah, yeah, there's a lot more of this. It's just kind of like fantasy stuff that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, we we did the first half. the The second half is is letters N through that's your T. Homework. Um, <laughs> sure, that's your homework. Uh, so what, what I episode. <laughs> there's there won't be, but uh, <laughs> I don't know that honestly. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So what I gathered from this was is uh, it's kind of like this fantasy world within um that box. The box did, did the box have to. the name? They or, called it a room. Okay. Capital um, Yeah, so I, I feel like um, it mentions that uh, fucking, I, I, I guess in the in the skip itself, it, it seems like that world kind of died in a way. Um, and then the start of the book, it kind of says the same. Yeah. Um, I, for me, for, for, for at least the stuff that we read, 
Uh, I feel like it might have been some. It might have had something to do with the the Titan, the lightning struck Titan, because it mentioned that it like fucked a lot of shit up. Oh so yeah. Maybe that was it. Uh, maybe something it, to do with that. It might. It, like, it could have been in. It could have been in one of the ones that we didn't read. I don't know, but from what we did read, it it seems like that. Might oh have well, had the last okay. It. So the last thing does say that. Uh, so no, there was a there was a big war. So that's the whole thing. Like, yeah. I'm, I just opened okay, the last yeah, article to say something, and it does say that they are they'll be the last one. Um, yeah, they were the last creatures and the first to die. They were the last creatures of the land, and they were the first to die out in the, in the new one. That sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, you're right. It was that, and then there was the uh, until the third awakening of the lightning strip titan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the wake the maker came and did a bunch of stuff. Not of things. They got but, cursed. Yeah, so, again, like I said, second half of those we didn't read. You should do that. I enjoyed reading those. Uh, so, Little Box, Portal, slash, the world itself, maybe? I, I don't know. The, the the box in the skip. Because it, it, when, when we were reading it, I saw it as more of, like, like the world is contained within the box. I think it's like they're connected via the box. It's like a gate, almost. Because they have one on the other side, is what I think it's saying, also. Oh, okay. With, like, the room. The whole oh yeah, yeah yeah okay and that's why they were like trying and they're, to... and they're paper because it's a cardboard box instead of like a normal room mm-hmm. sure. okay um cool. yeah there's yeah. some cool stuff here it's really fun um this is i think a little shorter than other i don't remember because we had to stop uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's important the um, things we do for you people <laughs> anyway um Next time, I think we should do kind of the same like deep dive thing on uh seventeen thirty. What happened to site thirteen? That's a really good one. Um, it's a pretty long one too, <laughs> okay. and it's not well, like this one where it's just up. kind of off tell off kilter stuff. It's like all important, I guess, equally. Yeah. Once again, uh, we read uh skip seventeen sixty two, and then uh, the the, there's a link to yeah, uh, beast of the old letters. Um, so yeah, so that's that's all for this one. Tune in two weeks from now, probably. Yep. Hopefully. Yes, two weeks from now. Definitely. Like we said last time. Um, Don't <laughs> stop. For the one stop. that uh, Soren said that I already forgot. That is some 17 something something. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that's, yep. Yep. Okay. This See is it. Goodbye. This is, this is the end. End of Good. episode. Goodbye.